0: Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing great today. Um, we are in the second week of our series on the book of First John that we've entitled In the Light. Uh, 1 John is this amazing little letter at the end of our New Testament written by the same man, the same follower of Christ, the same disciple that wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, He wrote the Gospel of John so that people might understand who Jesus was and they might believe in Him and begin their relationship with Him. That's why John wrote the book of John. But John wrote the book of 1 John, the letter that we're looking at right now, as a letter to members of his congregations. John was a pastor. He wrote it to members of his congregation to encourage them, who already had believed in Jesus, had already begun a relationship with Him, to encourage them to have an intimate level of fellowship with the Lord. To not just have a saving relationship with Christ, but to have a daily, ongoing, vibrant relationship with Christ. This is why John writes the book of 1 John. And as people who gather here today as believers in Christ, we ought to be leaning in at this point because we need to hear what the book of 1 John says because we, like John's original congregation, desire a more intimate relationship with the Lord. We want to not just have some kind of eternal fire insurance, but we want to have an ongoing, everyday relationship with God. And and this book lays out some of how that happens. And we began last week by, by looking at this, seeing that fellowship with God is found in the light and not in darkness. It's found in confession and not in perfection. It's found in His work and not in ours. And it's found in obedience and not just in information that we know. And, and if you uh, missed last week because you were traveling or, or whatever, I'd encourage you to, to go and to listen to that message on. Uh, our, our podcast at wildwoodchurch.org, or you can look in the iTunes music store and, and find out about that. But that, that kind of went through the chapter one and the first part of chapter two of the book. Uh, today we're going to take a second installment in our series on 1 John, uh, but before we do that, let me, let me pray for us, Father, I thank you for this time, and, and I, I thank you for the incredible privilege of standing here with your people To look at your word. Father, as we do that, I just confess that I I feel terribly inadequate to do so. Father, uh, this is a difficult passage. And uh, as you know, I've sought you with this passage and and just desire your leading. And Father, because of that, I I just pray that that you would be our teacher today. Father, that uh, the words that are shared, that they would be the things that you would want us to hear Father, if I get in the way and I say something that you wouldn't want us to hear, I pray that we would just quickly forget it. But Father, any words that I share that you would want us to hear, I pray that we would remember them, that we would believe them, we would apply them in the power of your Spirit, walking in obedience in your light, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Well, Friday night, uh, Kimberly, my wife, had uh, a, a party to go to, and so she was going to be out of the house, and so we decided that we were going to have a little guy's night. Uh, my four-and-a-half-year-old son and I were going to have a guy's night. Now, what do you do for a guy's night with a four-and-a-half-year-old? Well, well it definitely involved like hot dogs um, and, and some, some orange juice, but it, but it also involved watching for the very first time, uh, for him, the movie Star Wars. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you uh, are like me, and there's some of you, I see some nods out there. Uh, I grew up on Star Wars. I love Star Wars. And I thought, I'm going to show Josh, we're going to watch Star Wars together, at least part of it, uh, on Friday night. And I, I was wondering, where do you start? As somebody at this point in life, do you start with episode four, A New Hope, or do you start with episode one and Jar Jar? And, and so I, I, I texted the Ridgeways, and three out of four Ridgeways recommended episode four. So there you go. Uh, and when we started with uh, with episode four, A New Hope, and and we we watched this thing, and it was it was so uh, much much fun, uh, and, and it brought back all these memories for me, of watching that movie as a kid, of playing with the toys, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and it really reminded me of this phenomena that occurs in all of our lives about things that uh, we've experienced in the past, things we might call like old school. Uh, because we've had some experience with it, we have a set of emotions that accompany uh, things from our past. Uh, and this isn't the only one. There's, there's a few others here that I want us to see. Uh, how about Billy Sims? Uh, and Billy Sims Afro. Those are that's that's something. I, I love Billy Sims. I love him. I love him now. And uh, he, you know, I, I, some of you heard me say this before. I, I dressed up as Billy Sims for Halloween one year um, when he was with the Lions. He just tore his ACL. I had a big bandage, and, and it was great. But uh, you know, some of you have, you have you have feelings about being at OU games in the in the seventies or watching him play in the early eighties. It, it brings up some some emotion with you. Uh, what else? How about Happy Days, right? Uh, Richie and Fonzie? I mean, that, that, that's got to do something for somebody in the room. Uh, what else we got? How about Pong? How many of you in here actually had Pong in your house? Okay, the number of you. Uh, this, is, this is great. We, we had Pong at my house growing up. This is the first video game I'd ever played. Um, you know, if this is the first video game you've ever played, it is awesome. Um, Think of how different the experience is for kids that are born today, right? Their first experience is, a, is an Xbox 360, right? Uh, we need to start them on this. This is like a starter drug on video games. Um, Pong, it brings back memories. Playing with my sister in the living room. Uh, what, what else we got? What about vinyl records? Uh, how many of you have a, a, a record player in your house? This is awesome. You guys totally trumped first service in this regard. Um, we, you know, these, these records, I have a, a friend whose daughter went to school and they were, they were playing one of these in a class and the daughter had no category for it and, and was like, what, what is that? Is that like a giant DVD or what is, we don't, that is a play on our player. What do you do with something like that? Um, but yeah, we've got experience listening uh, to vinyl. What else? How about Pluto? right? I come from a time where Pluto was a planet. I want to go back to that time. It's a safe place. Um, you know, the, these things that are part of our past, they're, they're part of this, this old school experience we have. When we see them, they just bring back these feelings of nostalgia, um, of, of, of things that we've done in the past. We, we know them. We're familiar with them, and so we like them to a certain degree. But but. One of the things that happens as we get older is we begin to think that newer is better, right? The Xbox 360 is better than Pong. Um, Star Wars is going to be re-released in the coming years in IMAX 3D remastered, all this stuff, right? I mean, newer is better. That's that's just kind of part of what we have grown up with, and because of that, um, we run the risk in our spiritual life to assume that the thing that would drive us to intimacy with Christ is something new. It's something that we haven't yet heard. It's a truth that we we need to come across for the first time that will revolutionize our lives. It will be the key that will unlock God's riches for us. Sometimes we think that the intimacy with Christ is found in new things. Uh, This is why when you go to the Christian bookstore and you look at the books that are there and the taglines on them, uh, they all say, or not all, this is way of exaggeration, but many of them have things that say like, if you're going to read one book this year, this is the book. This book will change your life forever and ever and ever. We have unlocked the secret. You need to read this and everything will change. That sells to us because we have some level of, of holy discontent within our lives, some level of dissatisfaction with our relationship with the Lord. And we want that to be deeper. We want it to be more intimate. And many times, the, the conclusion that we draw is that the way to get more intimacy with Christ is to do something new. To learn something we haven't heard before. But the reality of, of Scripture is that new is not always better. And when John picks up his pen to write the book of 1 John, to encourage his congregation to, to have more fellowship, more intimate fellowship with Christ. What he tells them is not to go to something new, but to go back to that old school truth. And what we're going to look at today is what that old school truth is. We saw last week in chapter 2, verse 6, how obedience was so important to growing in our intimacy with Christ. But the question we got to ask is obedience to what? What kind of truth did John have in mind? The answer to that is, is found in the verses we're going to look at today. There was some truth that John was calling his congregation to to follow and to obey that would lead to more intimacy with Christ on an everyday level. Uh, and we're going to look at that today. We're going to see three things by looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7-11, to 11, and then some verses over in chapter 3. Now, I'll say this disclaimer. This book is written to believers. This book assumes a relationship with Christ. The things we're going to look at today are not the path that one might attain a relationship with Christ. They're encouragement for how we can develop that, how we can develop more intimacy with Christ. Last week, we talked about the way we enter into this relationship with Christ is on the basis of what Christ has done and confessing our sin and believing in that. We talked about that last week. But when we get to chapter 2, verse 7, he's talking about the things that drive intimacy in our relationship with Christ. And we're going to look at those today. We're going to see three things here. The first thing that we're going to see is this. We need to obey old school truth. We need to obey old school truth. Now, we see this in verse 7 of chapter 2. John writes, and he says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John is quite repetitious in this. He wants them to know that the thing that they are to obey, the commands of Christ they're to follow that lead to more intimacy with him, are are nothing new. They're things that they have heard John say for a long time. There are things that you would have heard come directly out of the mouth of Christ. They are things actually that go even predating Christ all the way back to the very first recorded scriptures. You see, John was saying that in order to grow in our intimacy with Christ, we don't need something new. We need to obey this old school truth. Well, what is it? Well, over in chapter 3 and verse 11, John gives very explicitly what that old school truth was. it says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This old school truth that they were to obey that would lead to intimacy with Christ, walking in the light, involved loving one another. It was something that was heard from the beginning because it actually was something that was recorded in the book of Leviticus. All the way back in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, these were Some of the first verses that were were written when when God gave his law to Moses and the people began interacting with it, that's what we have in these first books of the Bible, Leviticus being one of them. At the very beginning, God said this, he says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, John says this is an old school truth because it goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus. When God first started talking to his people, he told them to love one another. Jesus would reiterate it later on in his ministry. So when John tells his congregation that they are to obey this old school truth, it wasn't something surprising to them. You know what, it's not something that's surprising to us either, is it? Now, if you've been around the church for any period of time, or even if you are aware of the reputation of the kinds of things that are in the Scriptures, the, the notion that we are to love one another is not something that's surprising, right? It's not a truth that, that God has, has hidden from us. It's something that we know. We've heard it. We teach it to our kids. My son will come home, you know, two out of four Sundays in the month with a sticker on his shirt that says that he's supposed to love others. I mean, this is just the reality. It's, it's that basic, that known of a truth. In the Christian life, and John says that 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 truth, which is so basic, which is so at the core, that that obeying that is is central to your experience of intimate fellowship with God. And 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 there's part of us that that wants to buck against that. I want to say, really, it's really that simple? It's really that straightforward? Surely there's some mystery, some secret to it? I mean, other religions have this sort of thing. I mean. We're not supposed to be able to get the really good stuff until we've experienced the silent birth. Or we've made the journey to the city. Or we've gone to the inside of the sacred temple. Or we've gone on this trip, or on that trip, or this experience, or logged so many hours in our faith in Christ. I mean, we, we want to think that there is something out there that we have yet to discover that is the key and the secret... The intimacy with God. And what John says at the very beginning is he says, no, 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 no. I want you to go back. You want intimacy with Christ? I want you to go back and ponder and think about and obey the old school truth of loving one another. You know, that, that's something that, that we just struggle with. You know, I, there, there are times that Christians are as superstitious as baseball players. You know, baseball has all these superstitions. You know, don't step on the baseline as you're going and coming from the field, and don't talk to the pitcher if he's in the middle of a no-hitter. Sometimes we as Christians become superstitious in similar ways, thinking that changing something up might alter our relationship with God or might improve our relationship with God. It's the kind of thing that happens when you're like, you know what, I've been reading this Brown Bible for a while, and, and you know, it's just not jumping off the page anymore. Maybe I need to get the Italian duotone then the truth will really come alive. You know, I, I've been in this small group for a while. Maybe I need to be in that small group. I've been in this church in this style for a while. Maybe I need to be in that church in that style for a while. I, you know, Whatever it is, we begin to think that if we just change it up a little bit, that suddenly intimacy with Christ will follow. But when John writes to his congregation, what he tells them is, if you want intimacy with Christ, it's not found in something new and hidden. It's found in obeying the old school truth of loving one another. Now, he, he says a little more about it than just that. And we, unpacking it a little more will help us to understand really what he's getting at. And so I want us to see the second thing that we're going to see from this passage. And that has to do with old school obedience is resurrected in Christ. Old school obedience is resurrected in Christ. Jesus, in what he has done and what he is doing, has brought new emphasis and new understanding and new revelation about what this command of loving one another is really all about. Look at what it says in, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8. John says, at the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you. It's like, wait a minute, John, is it new or is it old? You just told us it was an old commandment. Now he's telling us it's a new commandment. What's he talking about? At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. See, John says that this command, though old, though written in the book of Leviticus, though talked about among believers from the very beginning, this command is somehow new. Wonder, well, where did John get that language? Where did he get that terminology? Well, he got that this command was new because that's what Jesus said about the command. Back in John chapter 13 in his gospel, verses 34 and 35, this is what Jesus says. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And the question is, in what way is Jesus' commandment to love one another new? If it was in the book of Leviticus, if it's been around from the beginning, if John even calls it old school truth, in what way is it resurrected? In what way is it new in Christ? I think to help us understand that, uh, there's a story that maybe will help us with that. Several years ago, I went to the Grand Canyon. It was my first time to ever go there. I'm I'm an Oklahoma boy. This was the first time I'd ever really gone west in my entire life. Go west, young man. I, I went. And, and I, I was headed out there, and we're driving up to the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And on the way in, I'm wondering, when can I see it? When will be that moment that I'll be able to see the Grand Canyon? Uh, and I looked out the window, and I saw this little canyon that was forming along the side of the road. Um, and I was like, there it is. It's, it's a depression in the earth. It's, there's water in the bottom of it. It's a canyon. And you know what? From my perspective, it looked pretty grand. And I'm thinking, there it is. There's the Grand Canyon. And I thought, well, you know, it's, I, I'm actually kind of surprised this is the most photographed place in the world, but I guess that's it. Maybe there's a, a better view. You know, maybe if I had the right camera, I could make this look better. But we're driving up, and I'm seeing this. I'm like, there it is. We finally get to the south rim of the Grand Canyon. We walked up over a ridge, and suddenly there it was. And what I realized in that moment was that my definition of canyon and grand needed to be totally revamped. They needed to be totally freshened up because what I had seen was a a hole created by water and it was kind of grand and it was kind of a canyon, but there was something else that was much greater than that. And and Grand Canyon from now on is defined for me as that hole in the ground in Arizona that is the most photographed place in the United States. My perspective on those things was freshened up. And the Greek word that Jesus used to say that something was new is also the word that could be used to say fresh. What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give a fresh understanding of what it means to love one another. I'm going to be a grand canyon of love so that you can see what it really looks like to love your brother. That's what, that's what Jesus has done for us. Uh, this is what John says in 1 John chapter 3, in verse, six, uh, verse 16. He says this, he says, By this we know love. In other words, we have a measuring stick, a definition of what love really is, of what love really looks like. He says, By this we know love, that He, being Jesus, laid down His life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, Jesus freshened our understanding of what love was. Jesus is the one that embodied it. And and what John says in chapter 2, verse 8, is that this was a truth that was true in him. It's something that in Christ we can see what love really is. He says it's something that is true in us. What John meant was those that follow Christ have a new standard, a new definition of what love really is. And those that follow Christ will love others as Christ has loved them. So in this way, this new fresh understanding of loving one another is found true in Christ, is found true in His followers. And he describes it like a light that is rising and shining in the world. Because of what Christ has done, we now have a new understanding of what love is really all about. And so when we have this old school command to obey, to love one another, we have Jesus as an example to follow in. it. Now, when he says that we are to love one another, what does that really mean? And how do we begin to unpack that a little bit? One of the things that you'll notice in 1 John is, that he's writing this to believers, and he frequently talks about loving your brother. I think the immediate context of 1 John is indicating that this is talking about a love of other Christians. We might say brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a love of other brothers and sisters in Christ is is the idea here. I really think that John was encouraging them in their congregation to love one another. And so as we begin to wrestle with what that means for us and how we apply it, let's, let's think about it in just those categories. I know there are other passages in Scripture that talk about love for others, but, but I think this passage is talking about a love for other believers. And so let's, let's think about it just in terms of our congregation. So here's what I want you to do. I want you, everybody to look down the aisle this way, okay? Look down the aisle, see the people who are there. Okay? Uh, some of you got a great view of the wall. And then, and then I want you to turn and look this way, okay? I want you to look forward, then turn around and look behind you, okay? These are the people that God is calling you to love, all right? How are you doing with that? Now, how we define that term is how we answer that question. If we define love as not wanting to kill them, uh, somewhat happy that they're here, uh, Wanting to maybe shake their hand or high-five them on the way out the door, um, whatever that might be, just some general hallmark sentiment. If that's how we define love, then, then a lot of us would be like, I'm doing pretty good. Love these folks. These are my people, my church. You know? Uh, what's interesting though is that there is not the same breadth of definition allowed for us in the immediate context of this. And what I'm getting ready to read is some of the most challenging things that I've read in Scripture in a long time. See, the definition of what it means to love the brothers and sisters, to love each other in the church, is this. Look at what it says in verses 17 and 18. Just let it soak in for a minute. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. See, the the standard for love that we're called to obey is not just thinking nice thoughts about each other, but it's actually being willing to sacrifice our comfort That's really what it's what it's getting at and you know as as I as I read this and, and I, I was preparing for a day and I've been wrestling with these verses for a number of weeks now you know what my temptation is to do with those verses you know what my temptation is to do for me and to to do for for you is I want us to to ratchet that back a couple of notches I want to find for us the loopholes that tell us that this is not as convicting as it sounds yeah you know, I, I say that not to my credit, I say that to my shame, right but but what I want to do is I want to say, you know it's it's not really talking about what it sounds like it means something else, but you know as, as more that I more that I read it, the more that I think about it, you know what you know what I think this passage is, is telling us to do to really love one another. I think this passage is as straightforward as it sounds, and I don't want to add any words to this that would take away from what God wants to do in your heart. through it. Because for me, this is still an in-process issue. I'm still wrestling through, what does this look like? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for my family? How does, it, how does, how does this play out in my life? And you know what, I would just ask you guys to do the same. Just to go before the Lord. What does it look like? For us to obey you, to follow you, in loving the brothers and sisters that you have placed us around. What does it look like? What does it mean? The one thing I will say with it is that sometimes we get overwhelmed by the thought of meeting every need we ever possibly could see. Now, there's a lot of needs in the world. There's a lot of needs around us. Um, I think one of the, the, the powerful truths of Scripture is that God has placed us within a body so that no one person meets everyone's needs on a human plane, but that God works through the body to meet, minister to the body's needs. This means that God, when you, when you think through what this means for you, it probably means what does God want to do through you in a circle of people's lives, not what does God want you to do in order to, you know, some global thing. I mean, There may be some of you that, that, that that's what God is working through your life towards, and that's, I don't want to get in the way of that either. But sometimes we shut down and we stop considering what a verse like this means because we immediately see our own limitations. The reality is, if we are to follow Christ in obedience, our love for others will be marked by sacrificing our comfort for the care of someone else. And it probably is going to begin with people in this room. What would God have you do in response to this? This verse talks about obedience, being resurrected in Christ. But what happens if we don't obey? What happens if we wish we had not come today to be convicted by that truth? What happens if we want to close our Bible and tape the pages of 1 John together so we never come back and read those again uh, because it was just too convicting? What happens if we disobey? In this area, Well, it's, it's interesting in, that John, in chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, uh, details some of the consequences that come from failing to love our brothers and sisters. And what he says is that disobedience leads to disaster. That there are some serious consequences that come from not obeying God in this area. You know, it's interesting, he says in verse 9, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother. Now, in context of all of what John is saying, hating your brother is not, you know, shaking your fist angrily and, and cussing him out. In the context of John, hating your brother is failing to love them. He's a black and white person. You either love or you hate. There's no middle ground. How many of you are black and white people? Stuff's either right or wrong. You know, there's a a right way, there's a wrong way. That's John writes that way. It's light or it's dark. It's love or it's hate. And so when John says, talks about one who is hating, what he means is someone who is failing to love. John says, whoever says that he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. That phrase in the darkness is shows us one of the first consequences of someone who persists in not caring for and loving their brothers and sisters. There'll be a deadening of their relationship with the Lord. We saw last week that the light is the place where fellowship with God is found. It's in God's revelation, it's it's in His His obeying His truth, responding to that revelation appropriately. That's where fellowship with God is found. And John writes in in chapter 2 that if we fail to love our brother, then we have left the light and we're living in the dark. There will be a deadening of our relationship with the Lord. And you might wonder, why is that? Well, think about it this way. God has a desire. He has an interest in ministering to the needs of others. God wants to be in the situation of need. And when we close the door, separating ourselves from the need, then we have closed a door between us and the Lord where intimate fellowship might otherwise exist. If we want to be with God, we will join Him there. Again, this is not talking about whether or not we have a relationship with Him, This is talking about how intimate that relationship might be. If we fail to respond, we fail to join God in that situation. There is a deadening that comes over time with failing to obey the command to love your brother. But it goes on. Verse 10 says this. It says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. By looking at the antithesis of this, we might say that The one who does not love his brother creates an environment where stumbling happens. The original language in this section is actually ambiguous enough that it can mean either or. The language can mean that the stumbling that occurs is by the one who is doing the hating. The one who is failing to love his brother could stumble. But it's also the the language would allow it to say the one who is being hated, the one who is being failed to care for could stumble. The idea is that if we fail to love our brothers, we create an environment where somebody's going to fall. You might think of it this way. If you were to have a party at your house tonight, and you were to have it after dark, which, you know, 10 o'clock at night, people are coming over to your place, um, and you've invited 10 friends who have never been to your house before, and they all show up at 10 o'clock tonight, and you don't turn any lights on in your house. And they walk into your house in the dark. And all your furniture is out, and all your stuff is there, and your kids' toys that you haven't put up yet, and all that stuff's out there, and eventually, somebody's going to trip. Eventually, somebody's going to walk into the corner of a table. Eventually, somebody's going to stumble. And and that's the picture that we get of an environment where people's needs are not being cared for. It creates an environment where some way, somehow, somebody is going to trip or stumble, Why in the world would we want to create an environment to invite people into where they might not, where they they might be in a position of getting hurt? Most of us wouldn't do that at our house. John challenges us to not do that in our relationships. Turn on the light. Love others. Care for their needs. And you will create an environment where people can see and not see. The third consequence of disobeying in this area is found in verse 11, though. He says this, he says, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and he walks in the darkness, and he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. What I take from that, we've all heard the phrase that love is blind. What I take from that is the idea that hate is blind, it's blinding. You know, if we are failing to love our brother and sister in Christ, then then we begin to be closed off from being able to see what God is doing around us. You want intimate fellowship with God? You want to see what He's up to? Then then follow Him and join Him in meeting the needs of others. Turn on that light and see what He's up to. So many times we fail to do that and wonder why there's a lack of intimacy. You know, these verses are some of the most challenging verses that I've read in a long time. And my hope for us today is that we would wrestle with conviction over how we respond to this truth. You know, next week when we come back, we're going to look at um, the provision that God has given that John talks about to help us to live into this. But I think before we get there, we need to wrestle with what God is really calling us to So I, I would just challenge you this week to consider what is it that God would have you do in response to this? We who have a relationship with Christ, we who want intimacy in that relationship, with Christ, how is He leading us to love and to care? I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up right now. And as they come... Uh, and prepare to, to, to lead us in the singing of our closing song. I want to read a lyric of a song that we're going to sing. Um, it's a lyric that, that I think has a lot of echoes from the truth that we've seen last week in this one. Uh, this is what it says in the song, "Rain in Us. It says, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh again. We've, we've, we've seen how this old school truth is resurrected, made fresh and new in Christ. Come search our hearts and purify our lives. We saw last week, if we confess our sins, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need your perfect love. We need your discipline. We're lost unless you guide us with your light. Lord Jesus, come lead us. We're desperate.